a solemn yes today, my friends. Right before we started recording, news broke that Queen Elizabeth II has passed on. An absolute titan in the world stage for my entire life. Our thoughts are obviously with the people throughout the United Kingdom. And soccer is a secondary consideration on this day. Uh, there's a bit of chaos, as you would expect right now, as there's conflicting news reports whether the games are even going to be played this weekend, uh, how long the nation's going to be in mourning, all those sorts of things. And those are obviously the important priorities for the people as they mourn this loss. We are going to do something different as a result. We had prepared for doing our usual nonsense about the games on the weekend, but it's completely unclear at this moment if those games are even going to take place. So instead, we are going to focus on some future bets today. Um, we are going to think about you know, where these teams might finish up, which directions they're heading, who's in the best shape, who, who should be worried, and uh, which teams might have to fear the drop coming to relegation. So if the games do take place, we will post some picks onto our Twitter feed. But right now, we're assuming they're going to be post postponed. Uh, Brett, before we kind of jump into the futures, do you have any thoughts on the, the news that just broke? Well, I do, but since we already probably are hated by English fans for our mispronunciation of names um, and the fact that we call it soccer and not football, I will keep those thoughts myself other than the fact that I most I know about the royal family is sometimes I see articles about Meghan Markle, um, but my spreadsheets dominate my life, Toby. I, I don't see, it's just like blinders on a horse. It's just spreadsheets with XG data and then everything else is tunnel vision. So that's yeah. all I got. Yeah, so Brett's a robot soldiering on. Uh, Meatballs is in tears right now for, as a West Ham fan, and the F Queen's family obviously supports that club, and so I'm sure he is feeling yeah. tremendous empathy for them yeah. right now. If there's production issues at the pod, it's because Meatballs is on West Ham Reddit just crying, typing through the tears right now. So, <laughs> Well, so, and of course it's with a little bit of a heavy heart, but let's be honest, guys. Like You didn't turn into this to hear our thoughts on the monarchy. You didn't hear us turn into this to have a retrospective on Queen Elizabeth's life. You turned into this for a bunch of silliness about men running around in shorts on a field and counting to see how many times they could kick it into a net. So we're going to soldier on. We're going to talk about the, the futures for this week. And then uh, after the period of mourning passes and games resume, we'll be right back with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. So, Brett, let's now take a barometer to the health of the league and talk through um, the odds to win the league, the odds to finish top four, the odds to finish relegation, and if there are any other future bets that you particularly fancy. So let's start with the winner. Odds right now, Man City, minus 250, Liverpool plus 700, Tottenham plus 1,100, Arsenal plus 1,100, Manchester United plus 1,800, Chelsea plus 2,800, everybody else is 10,000 or higher. So hearing those odds, Brett, is there anything that catches your eye or are we already uh, forming a, a guard of honor for Man City, even though it's just turned into September? Well, I mean, Manchester United at plus 1800. I mean, everybody told me they're going to win the league because they just beat Arsenal. So, I mean, if they're the favorites, like, yeah, you got to put money when you got them at plus 1800. No, I mean, plus 1800. I mean, the, the thing with City, and we, we would have talked about this in the, if they would have played their match against Spurs, is like, City has been dominant. They absolutely dismantled Sevilla in the Champions League this week. Um, they rolled through the league so far. And like, well, looking at their schedule so far kind of is like a cold shower <laughs> um, when you're talking about like the prospects of City. Uh, They're still good. Like you can have those two thoughts in your head. They've had an easy schedule that they've dominated, um, but they're also still very, very good. And with the problems that are going on at Chelsea, which we'll get into with you, um, the problems that are going problems. on at Liverpool. Um, I wasn't aware of any problems, Brett. What are yeah, you talking no, there's about? There's no problems, zero problems. And Liverpool definitely did not get trucked by Napoli midweek. Um, you know, so I, I, there's just, there doesn't seem to be a clear challenger, even if you wanted to talk yourself into this, um, unless you're delusional about United and think Marsh, Marcus Rashford is going to uh, ascend to just new heights as you know, Mbappe type levels. Um, you know, there's, there's no one you can even talk yourself into maybe Spurs, uh, but so much has to go right with health for them, with the, the uh, Champions League games that being additional fixtures, with the fact that like Harry Kane is going to play a shit ton of minutes, at the world cup in the middle of all this. Um, so yeah, it's, there's, it's city. There's no one else. It doesn't matter what the odds are. Take them at minus two fifty. take them at minus thousand. Even if Holland gets hurt, they're going to throw Bernardo Silva in there as a false nine, and they'll still be better off than pretty much every other team, which has major, major question marks. 
Yeah, I said in our first episode this year, Brett, that Man City was minus 210 to win the league and it was the best price you were going to get. Uh, I think Arsenal has actually done us all as betters a tremendous favor here by getting off to such a hot start by putting up 15 points and taking the top of the table early. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, I think City would already be minus 350, minus 400, just on the dominance they've displayed. And particularly how well Holland is embedded and created just an unstoppable killing machine. So I think this minus 250 is still a good value. It's only going to continue to climb from here. If you're really just somebody who wants to, you know, take a ticket and see what happens than Liverpool or Tottenham. I mean, Liverpool uh, was certainly closer to Man City to start the year and with their troubles, they've fallen off. And if you think they could turn it around and over a long campaign, they can stage a comeback, then I can understand you buying that ticket. But I just think Man City is going to continue to climb, continue to climb, continue to climb. And you might as well lock in the minus 250 now before you regret it later. Yeah. And I mean, and this isn't to say that like there aren't things that are going to come up with City that are going to be issues. You know, the Newcastle match was the Newcastle is the best team they played. And it was the closest, most up and down match that we've seen. And that was with someone like Colin Wilson, you know, making runs in and around the box. Like no disrespect to Colin Wilson, but he's not like Harry Kane. He's not Mbappe. So we're going to see some things pop up with City that are going to cause issues. Holland has no track record of staying healthy for the number of games he's on place to play. So there are things that are concerns, but like their concerns are just like it's first class concerns it's not the same thing as like james milner looking like he should have retired five years ago against napoli type concerns <laughs> uh all right so let's get to the more interesting discussion then brett top four here are the current odds man city minus ten let let's go ahead and throw them out for the sake of this discussion let's consider this a five horse race and then at the end uh if you want to throw in a long shot then i'm more than happy to hear it Liverpool is minus 450 for top four. Tottenham is minus 250. Arsenal is minus 225. Manchester United is plus 125. Chelsea is plus 125. So hearing those numbers, where do you feel most comfortable placing your money? <sighs> Probably, I'm going to set you up here. I'm just going to give you something here because you're either going to agree with me or you're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Or we're going to get an epic rant. So this is like a win, win, win. Um, I, I still think with Potter in the fold, the Chelsea, there's enough individual talent there. And he had the weirdest collection of players at Brighton and ground out some pretty good results for a team that couldn't identify attackers, never splashed big money. You know, now he's going to walk into Raheem Sterling. He's going to walk into Reese James. He's going to walk into Fofana and Koulibaly. So I think that as much as Tuchel was revered, as much as he did a great job during that Champions League run, there was still something missing. Tuchel had this thing at Dortmund. This is thing, the Tuchel's thing at Dortmund is he would just come up with like, it was like he was trying to innovate the game of soccer with weird formations or different little intricate tactics instead of just being like, I'm going to put my best guys in like Ansel I style. I'm going to put my best guys on the pitch and let them play. And this is our identity, you know? Um, and I think that was what happened with Tuchel, especially the season with injuries and the transfer thing. Could you tell me that there was like a specific thing he was going for at any point this year? Like there was a back three with two attackers and it was a back three with three attackers and it was a four, three, three. Um, I think Potter's going to come in and just organize some stuff and kind of give them the same basic, cautious, you know, defensively airtight play that he had at, at Brighton. But instead of like Neil Malpe as a striker, he's going to have. Sterling, Pulisic, even, you know, they're struggling Havertz, Mounts, et cetera. So I think Chelsea is still the safest play. Well, I don't know about safest, but I do think it's the best value. And obviously it's been an incredibly tumultuous uh, week that I'm still processing, but more than happy to talk about in my safe space here on the pod. Yeah, it is. Uh, this so is like a, this is like a second version of therapy for you. It's just like you go on the podcast and you get to talk about all your Chelsea problems. So, um, first of all, before we kind of dive into it, and I, I will try to keep it brief because I don't want this to be the Chelsea hour. Um, thank you to Thomas Tuchel from me as a Chelsea fan, uh, a tremendous and important figure in our club's history. Even though he only coached a hundred games, given the times in which he coached, I mean, he was asked to do things that we rarely ever see out of anybody in the world of sport. Uh, instead of you know answering questions about his lineup selection or tactics or things like that. He was fielding endless questions on the ethics and legality of a war in the Ukraine by a foreign dictator. Like it was insanity that they held this guy up to be the voice of all things because of the Abramovich situation. So to see him 
steward us through that, to see us uh, take us to one of the greatest moments in club history at the Champions League in 2021, uh, to see him be a calming figure in the pandemic and a calming figure post Super League. Like these are just unbelievably choppy waters that he navigated and he did it with uh with grace and calm. It was a real statesman and an excellent ambassador for the club. And so I am grateful for him both on the field and off the field. And I think um he frankly probably deserved better than this. But we can't put the toothpaste back in the tube now, can we? So we kind of have to look at them going forward. And from what I can tell, Brett, and obviously I want your opinion on it, uh, getting Graham Potter in is kind of the the best we could have, we hope for here. I mean, it is super weird, right? Like if I was a kid and uh, we were going through like a tough family time in our family and our solution was like, all right, well, uh, we need to move. We're going to relocate. We're going to get back to a safer space with friends and family and all that kind of around us. But, you know, I know things are going to be difficult, but at least we're going to go together. And, and you say, OK, great. You pack up your teddy bear. You pack up your room. You're like, all right, I'm getting in the van, but at least I'm with my family and I'm going. And then you get into the new house and uh, your dad tucks you in and kisses you goodnight. And then you go downstairs the next day and there's some bearded hipster making you eggs and wearing your dad's bathrobe. And you're like, what the hell just happened? I thought this was the safety. I thought we were going to do this together. And they're like, no, son, I'm new daddy. And like for Chelsea's fans, most people would be in like therapy for the rest of their life. For Chelsea fans, we're like, okay. And we're calling them pops by that afternoon just because we're hardened by this. It's like Bane in the darkness. We were born into it. We were born <laughs> into this chaos and we could adapt to it. So I'm willing to give Graham Potter, despite my feelings about Tuchel, Graham Potter, the absolute uh, benefit of the doubt. And from a soccer perspective or football perspective, I always go back and forth between the two. I don't, I'm kind of torn between two worlds. Um from that perspective, I think he fits the current squad really well, which is always the big concern with a big change in manager, you know, at this point of the season. Like if we were bringing in somebody who played a, a style that completely um, didn't benefit all of the expensive guys we just bought, I'd be panicking right now. But his preferred formations and his tactics aren't that like different from Tuchel, like correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, he has, he likes to play a possession based style. He likes to play a high press. He's a very modern manager. And it's almost as if he has learned from Tuchel and brought his own ideas to it. But the base of his knowledge are much closer to him than they are like a big Sam or somebody who's just playing kickball. Yeah. I mean, and the thing that I, I think is interesting, and this is always something that I, I think in, in across sports, I always find this interesting. Well, sports that you can relate to the hierarchy of how soccer works um, is Potter has worked his way up. Like he has worked with, at clubs with limited resources. I mean, he was all the way down at like Swansea and this is, you know, like, po like post premier league time Swansea, um, you know, Brighton didn't, you know, Brighton didn't really show like a ton of ambition. Like they weren't like Nottingham forest where when they came up, they were splashing money left and right on, you know, new players trying to basically refresh an entire squad. You know, they make their signings here and there. You know, Tony Bloom was a, a poker guy. I'm sure they have some data analysis behind it. Um, you know, but like, you know, they would outlay on like Neil Paul Malpay or they bring in Danny Welbeck on like a free transfer. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting anytime a guy that has pieced together really solid results and by all accounts, too, he's a very smart guy. He's got uh, I think he's got a background with like social science degrees, things like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see him like come and like work with like super talented players, right? Like how he can then utilize them after being like, uh, well, all our right backs are hurt. So I'm going to put Pascal gross as like a white right wing back. And I'm going to somehow get us results with this like 30 plus year old slowing aging German as our wing back. Right. Um, so he, I think that stuff is fun. I, I think He's definitely going to be better about the modern or better about the modern trends than like a, a Zidane would have been as far as like his team is going to aggressively press. They're going to have a, a plan without the ball. They're going to have a plan with the ball. Um, I think it's interesting. I, I think he was the best. He's the not the sexiest choice of all the names that maybe floated out there. You know, so Zidane again being probably the one that would have the most allure as far as headlines go. I think he was the most practical choice for him. Um, and I think he's going to keep them in the safest hands. I think the floor is very high with Potter. The ceiling is, you know, TBD. Yeah. Well, uh, from everything I, I've read, 
I think the key to his hiring is his communication skills and his collaboration uh, mindset. Because it sounds like Tuchel's downfall actually wasn't on the pitch. It was off the pitch. And that Bowley, the new owner, wanted a partner to uh, bounce ideas off of, to help him in the transfer window, to help him, frankly, embed into the European game as the owner of the Dodgers, him coming over. It's not like he spent his lifetime as a, as a football fan. And uh, he was looking for Tuchel to do that. And it might have been unfair to ask Tuchel to do that because it turned out Tuchel was like Belichickian. He just wanted to do his job. He didn't want to do all these other things and Bowley needed him to. And there was so much tension there that off the pitch, uh, it just ended up not working out. And it seems from everything that uh, that I'm able to consume in the brief time since this has happened, that Graham Potter's like the exact opposite. Like he wants to collaborate. He has a viewpoint. He can manage up extraordinarily well that he would be a partner to Bowley in this. And I think you see part of that in the five-year contract that he signed instead of the usual three-year deal that most mm-hmm. managers come in on. So they didn't go for box office. They didn't go for star power and i'm actually taking that as a positive here because if they can build a long-term project if he can be their uh clop or he can be their pep even if he didn't have the world-class resumes of those guys coming in but he can lead a four or five year project at chelsea and, and lead us into peacetime instead of this constant uh turbulence that we're facing i'll be extraordinarily excited and then back yeah. to the odds here brett i'm sorry go ahead you want to follow up no I, I was just gonna say i mean I, I think and this will dovetail right into the odds um, it cannot be understated the jump in the level of resources that Graham Potter is going to have at his disposal now compared to any other club. Like you can literally combine the financial outlay and the revenue streams and the wages probably of every single club he's managed before he went to Chelsea. And it would not equate to what Chelsea spends on players, on their facilities and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's just really fascinating to me, which is why I think that line is a little low in my opinion, because there's more to work with. And he has just more of a track record at this level, at the premier league level than 10 ag does. So yeah, it's, it's just going to be, it's just going to be an interesting situation. I think it was a, it was fun to see a soccer team as someone that's an Everton person that watched bully kind of parading guys left and right. It was fun to see him make a decision where you had Pochettino out there, you had Zidane out there, and those would have been headline-grabbing hires. But both of those guys come with huge, huge question marks. Pochettino has basically fell on his face at, at PSG, and Zidane has not done anything outside of Real Madrid, which have a massive resource advantage over pretty much the rest of soccer. So it, it's it was a really cool thing to, to take the practical guy, and I think that's why it makes me interested in that line. Yeah, and... and- it's crazy. I mean, like most of the times where this happens, Brett, like it happens because a uh, top six team is in like 12th or 14th or 15th or whatever it might be. Like Chelsea's sixth. Yeah. Like the death of Chelsea is greatly exaggerated and people are accelerating, assuming that this was a crisis based to hire or firing. And they didn't, they thought that the team was cooked. I think it's the opposite. I thought they got way out ahead of it. Uh, they knew it wasn't working in the back room. They didn't want to see them fall to 9, 10, 11, and they got they fired them two months early instead of two months late. And if you're looking at the odds in season and you're not thinking about long term and, and things like that, but in season, then you got to back that move, right? Like you would much rather see them move too early than too late and be completely done for the year when you ha- you're holding a Chelsea top four ticket. Well, so especially, especially, well, especially with the Champions League, too. Well, we won't we won't get into Champions League out of Chelsea, but we I mean, it's something you have to consider with that is that if they had dropped points again against another team in their group stage, they're behind the eight ball of even getting out of group into the quarter. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's why the, the timing point is, is really good. As they got out ahead of it, they didn't wait till the dumpster fire was raging inferno. You had to call in fire departments from every part of the uh, the town to come in. They kind of like noticed, oh, hey, that pile of rags is burning near the corner of that dumpster. We should douse it out now. Yeah. So if you look at their roster and if we assume Graham Potter will be in the Tuchel neighborhood, like maybe he's 20 percent better than Tuchel. Maybe he's 20 percent worse. I don't know what it's going to be. I mean, Tuchel's one of the best managers in the world. So assuming he's going to be in the neighborhood might be a big assumption. But to a certain extent, like it's the roster that's going to determine where they finish as much as anything else. And the talent on this team, I, I still believe in like. I think some of them um, were being asked to play positions that they couldn't quite handle. I mean, we went through Jorginho last week. Uh, Mendy is struggling playing out of the back, so I don't know if we're going to see more Kepa now. Uh, they were trying to, you know, having a hard time keeping up with Tuchel's demanding 
tactics. But outside of a couple of those spots, like welcome new ideas from Graham Potter, um, a certain amount of familiarity because the system's not going to radically change, and just a fresh start in the locker room with guys getting clean slates, people that have been moved around a lot, like Pulisic and and Ziyech, et cetera, um, RLC, like they might be able to bounce back. So if I look at their roster versus the other major contenders for the top four, outside of uh, Liverpool, Thiago dependent, I feel great about Chelsea and it's not like they're covering a huge hole. Like, as I said, they're in six, they're at 10 points. Manchester United's at 12, Tottenham's at 14, uh, Arsenal's at 15 and Liverpool's behind them at nine. So it's not like they have to climb out of a massive pit. And if I like the roster and I like the manager and, and, um, and they're not, you know, prohibitively far behind, give me the plus money, give me them at plus 125 of these five choices all day. But yeah. that obviously begs the question, Brad. I mean, let's move off of Chelsea. Which of these other four teams are pretenders? Somebody's got to finish fifth. Somebody's got to finish sixth. Dare I say somebody's got to finish seventh. Uh, who do you you know think is going to be the ones on the outside looking in? I mean, I, I think it's still United as the most question marks. Uh, we don't know what Casemiro is going to look like or how often he's going to be able to play. I mean, Christian Eriksen, who's got a freaking defibrillator, I mean, a pacemaker or something in his in and just came off a dramatic health episode. And he's also over 30 is all of a sudden a huge integral part of their midfield. Um, and if he goes away, you're back to like McTominay, Fred in there, the same complaints that go on when those two play, you know, Marcus Rashford isn't great. Like I was going to bring it up. We we're going to talk about the match today, but his uh, expected goals and expected assist numbers is back to where it was after the last two years where he's kind of lost in the wilderness but we don't know. Is that just like a thing that's happening over the first few games? Is he really back? Is he going to like ascend again? Um, you know, Jaden Sacho's like, you know, kind of spruced up a little bit, but again, he's basically like scored a goal in a match and then kind of went back to just being on the field. Um, Anthony Alonga is a total question mark, you know, Ronaldo, how is he going to be in the locker room? If he's like a super sub all year, that's going to be an issue. Um, so there's still like a ton of question marks. So when you look at that at the plus 125 number being equal to Chelsea, it just seems like they they should be in a different category to me. There's a way longer list of things. Like with Chelsea, the one main question isn't about so much about personnel. It's like, can Potter come in and organize them into something cohesive? You know, instead of doing what Tuchel was, which was constantly tinkering. Um, with United, it's like, can these players hold up? Are these players actually as good as they're playing? You know, there's deeper, more pressing questions with them. So I still think they're going to miss out. And Arsenal, you know, it's all going to be to me, how does the, how do they handle the extra matches? What happens when, if Jesus gets hurt, um, he has been so good and such a like huge force for them to start this early season run. Um, we've already seen their midfield sort of fall apart a little bit with Elneny and uh, Thomas Partey being out. Um, and now you got Lokonga in there and he's going to have to play like a ton of minutes in the midfield with Granit Xhaka, who is, was a villain for a long time before he's now kind of settling in as, as a main man in the Arsenal engine room. Um, so, you know, they, there's stuff with them with depth that I don't think that they have. And last year they finished, Arsenal finished fifth. And again, it was without Jesus, but they finished fifth because they didn't play any other European matches. It was just cup stuff. Um, so now you got the truncated schedule with the World Cup coming up, all these extra matches that they're going to play. Um, if they get into the quarters of Europa, if they get deep into the FA Cup or even the Carabao Cup, like is Arteta going to risk his main 11 guys, you know, to go after those things? Or is he going to focus on the Premier League? So there's questions there. And so to me, it's kind of like I feel Tottenham's pretty safe. I think Liverpool is going to figure this shit out. And, you know, their injury, their injuries and bad luck have hurt them now. Um, Chelsea to me is the favorite for that fourth spot and with Arsenal and United kind of right behind. So with Arsenal, you're getting minus 225. I just don't think that's a good number. I think there's too many thing questions about their depth and, and we're always super optimistic about that injury shit. So I think that number is a little too high for me. What about Liverpool? Let's just, I'm not going to let you glance over that too fast. I mean, I feel great about Tottenham as well. Anybody who's listening to the show knows that I'm how bullish I am on them. I was so excited to talk about them in Man City this week. Spurs, we'll have Spurs to are that plus 225 for top two, Toby. We should throw that one out there. Oh, uh, we're going to do some of my favorite other uh, features okay. at the end, and you're going to hear the Spurs name over and over again. <laughs> uh, so, 
So I like Spurs, obviously Man City. Uh, I think Chelsea's a great number. And neither of us think Manchester United are, uh, are built for the long term. But Liverpool at minus 450 here, I, I don't have the number in front of me. I'm guessing if you took the other side of this bet, will Liverpool finish outside of the top four? It's got to be plus 270, maybe plus 300. It's got to be somewhere in that range. It's got to be pretty tasty. Um, would you sniff that bet? Do you think that this is all just downstream from the Thiago injury? Do you think they have bigger things to be concerned about? And if it's downstream from the Thiago injury, who says he's not going to get hurt again? So do you actually have confidence that they're going to be able to make it through and not be the one that have the season from hell and fall out of the top four? Yeah. I mean, and look, it's not like Jurgen Klopp hasn't had a team that's crashed and burned really badly, right? With a combination of bad luck, um, poor play and injuries. Um, and that was his Dortmund team that led to him coming to Liverpool. Um, but that said, I, I mean, he's, he's fishing around with different formations. And I thought it was interesting when he played Carvajal and Elliott against uh, Everton, you know, they, I think this is going to not be the same airtight Liverpool team that we saw last year. Um, I think they're going to start when James Milner can finally get replaced, whether it's Curtis Jones, uh, Harvey Elliott and Carvajal taking those spots, um, Keita, now Keita coming back, um, or obviously Thiago coming back would be the best case scenario, him being back and healthy for a long time. They're, they're going to have options at that eight spot in front of Fabinho. You know, Hendo is kind of a part-time player at this point. Um, you know, he's not going to be able to got, to go 90 minutes every single match. You know, he's probably going to transition maybe more to like a six um, than being that eight that's roaming around too. Um, so I, I think they're going to find the pieces that make sense. And the attacking town is there. Uh, Nunez has been like incredible as shots per 90 numbers are like off the charts. Firmino's had a, a really good start. Salah hasn't been, you know, finishing like crazy, um, but he's, he's still getting like, his numbers aren't dropping off a map. Um, Diaz has been awesome to watch, you know, so they have the attacking talent. They have the depth, you know, they still have Trent Alexander Arnold. They still have Andy Robertson, um, the center back situation has been a little bit of a mess with Gomez having to play and Nat Phillips having to play with those two stop playing minutes <laughs> that'll improve. Um, so I, I, I just think that there's, this is just one of those things where we see them in a little bit of a crisis and we don't realize how many things are currently going wrong between the bad luck, the injuries. And then, you know, the fact that Na- Napoli blew them off the pitch, but Napoli isn't like a shit team. They're they're going to challenge for the Serie A title. They're going to probably make the knockout rounds in the Champions League. They have uh, Victor Oshiman, who's probably one of the ten best strikers in the world, young stri- uh, strikers in the world. Not to mention that he's like only twenty three. Um, so like that loss isn't as horrible as maybe it's being made out to be. Yeah, you'd like to see him be more competitive in that match, but like they lost to a really good team in a game that kind of got out of hand. It's definitely not something where you're like, oh, Liverpool's free falling. They're going to finish eleven. Yeah. Uh, meatballs just told us it is plus two fifty for them to finish outside the top four. So I appreciate him getting off of hammers Reddit to look that <laughs> up for us. Uh, and I agree with you. I mean, this is the beauty of the premier league, right? Like it's hard to hide over 38 games and quality finds its level. And Liverpool in my mind is just too high of quality that short of a real, real injury crisis. Uh, to finish all the way outside of the top four and and fall from, hey, they could have taken down one of the greatest club teams we've ever seen in Manchester City last year, and it came down to the very last day of the season, to all of a sudden falling 20 points behind or 25 points behind and uh, being out of Champions League play. So I agree, but it's the scary thing is, is since they are the lowest of the six teams right now, we have to at least ask the question. So uh, I think things will turn around, but not where we thought they would be if we had done this Futures edition you know, six weeks ago. Absolutely. All right, so let us take a quick break, and we will be back with relegation discussions and then other random uh, favorite futures of Brett and mine. All right, we are back from the top of the table down to the bottom. Let us talk about who might be relegated this year. The odds, Bournemouth, minus 300. Nottingham Forest, minus 150. Leicester, plus 175. Oh my God, I cannot believe they are favored to be relegated. Everton, plus 200. Fulham, plus 225. Southampton, plus 300. Leeds, plus 350. Aston Villa, plus 14, or I'm sorry, plus 400. Wolves plus 450 and Brentford plus 600. Everybody else is 800 or higher. Uh, I think it's really cool, Brett, that 
just like I think this is going to be one of the most competitive top four races. And when I say competitive, I don't just mean like it's going to be close. I think it actually might be like well played and contested because mm-hmm. the teams are playing at a decent level. Unlike two years ago when Lampard qualified and everybody seemed to be trying to lose uh, leading into it. I think this is going to be a real tight finish at the top four. I think we've got a real race for the bottom here. I mean, we've got so many contenders that might be able to, that might go down that it's going to be um, well fun for us to track, probably less fun for their fans to follow. So I'm going to go ahead and say Bournemouth's going down, and I'm going to say we're talking about you know the rest of these teams for two spots. Um, that minus 300, I'd be more than happy to lay. I just have seen no indication before the season, during the season, or any other time that they are one of the best uh, 17 teams in the league. So that leaves everybody else. Uh, Do you have favorites on that list to go down? Is it because you don't like the team or you just like the odds? Um, I mean, it can be both. Um, I like like the Everton odds and I don't like the team. It's my love-hate relationship, right? Um, You know, I mean, Everton are very concerning. Um, They're just – they're – kind of getting extremely lucky. I think if they, if a, a few results, like especially the Liverpool match um, had went the other way and been drubbings instead of draws, um, we'd be looking at them in a very different life and probably seeing very different odds. Um, but there's not a lot of promising things about this Everton, Everton side. Lampard hasn't really done much to move the needle, which we kind of knew that he was just a guy for the most part. Um, you know, Dominic, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's probably their best attacker with Richarlison out is still been out and still been hurt. Um, you know, they signed a couple of midfielders, you know, we have a, a Drissa Gade homecoming. Um, Onana has come over from league one. Um, I don't really like think that they're going to be difference makers to the point that it's going to change Everton's fortunes. And they came into the year going to be in 16, 17th place. And they're right there. And that's a couple more injuries. Anthony Gordon getting hurt. Um, Damari Gray getting hurt, Calvert-Lewin not playing. Everton's going to struggle to score goals. There's just not a lot of upside with this team. There's no version of this team to me that had like clears 15th or 14th place, which means that there's a downside that's like 17th, 18th. So, or, yeah. uh, you know, and, and that's, a, that's sad considering the state of that club. Yeah. Well, I think Forrest at minus 150 is I feel the same way about them. I feel like City. Like I know they spent a metric ton. I know that they're blood boys who refilled their entire team by <laughs> by signing so many guys. But I they signed quantity over quality, and this might be a smokescreen where like we're looking at this minus one fifty now, and then post World Cup or by January, this is minus like six hundred, seven hundred because of. Uh, their form. So I guess they could all come together. I'm actually rooting for Forrest. I'd love to see more teams come up and spend the money like they did once they're promoted. Uh, and I hope it would set a, a good precedent for other teams to follow. But I think that minus 150 can only grow and grow. And if you're looking for a value bet, uh, even though it's a minus, I would take that one right now. After that, I'm going to skip past Leicester and I'm going to skip past Everton. Um, I think those guys are properly rated right now. I think those odds are fair. I mean, you can't just look at the pedigree. You have to look at the the current run of form and the current squad and the current direction. And I think all the, those teams, like those teams definitely have a reason to worry. But if I'm looking for a good value for the third team to go down, I'm looking at Southampton at plus 300 and Leeds at plus 350. It hurts my heart to say Leeds, uh, especially after they drubbed Chelsea and you know, anti-American sentiment out of you right here. I know. And uh, they're wearing right, but they're bleeding red, white, and blue. So I certainly want them to stay up, but those are tasty numbers. I mean, Leicester and Everton have just as good a chance in my mind to turn things around as Southampton. And I think they're more talented. I think Southampton's trash. So if you can give me Southampton plus 300 versus a Leicester plus 175, I'm going to grab that. And Leeds just, too much variance. I mean, they come out and they look like world beaters against Chelsea, and they don't look that good for the next couple of weeks after that. So that run of inconsistency is exactly what dooms you. If you turn a couple of those three-pointers into one-pointers and the one-pointers into zero, all of a sudden you're sitting on 28, 29 points instead of 41, 42, and you're no longer safe. So I just uh, I like the value you're getting on those numbers. And that's where I would look past I mean, the blue bloods of Leicester and Everton. You don't think that Brandon Brandon Aronson's new new cheer with the American Boy song is going to just be a galvanizing thing that keeps him up and safe for sure? I don't think this is American Idol. I think they've actually got to perform over thirty eight games, and uh, so I don't like the, 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 the difference between I think for me between like 
Southampton leads is there's top end talent at Leeds. Um, you know, Aronson's adjusted pretty well to the Premier League early on. You know, Rodrigo is, has been a great start to the season. Patrick Bamford's still there. Um, but Jack Harrison has been, you know, he's solid. Uh, Southampton just doesn't seem to have that top end. Um, and it, they're just, I, I don't know. They, to me, they definitely feel like they're, they have their fingers just hanging off, uh, hanging onto the very edge of the cliff right now. Um, waiting for like a little scorpion or something to come up and sting them. And then they're going to fall off. I, I just, the, the, their transfer strategy has been odd. We talked about it a little bit on the last show. Um, you know, they, they sign guys and they're just players. Like I barely have heard of from leagues that aren't super competitive. Um, and I, I think that's kind of a mistake for their transfer strategy. It's kind of left them where they're at. Um, but uh, th- with all that said, I still think Fulham at plus 225, they are extremely reliant on one player, and that's Mitrovic. He was the guy that brought him up. He has been a dominant physical force that has uh, kept them competitive so far. If he goes down, their attack is going to fall off. If that They are going to actually fall off the fucking cliff with the, their attack. And that is a hugely worrisome sign. Um, cause it's not like Tim Ream in the back line is aspiring like a ton of confidence, go USA. Um, to like, you know, they don't have that backdrop of maybe being this like super conservative defensive team to grind out points. Like a la maybe Sean Dyche's Burnley's, you know, were able to escape relegation doing if Mitchell goes down, they're going to be mediocre to bad and in, in defense. And they're going to be absolutely like nothing in attack. So I, I think at plus two twenty five. They, to me, are still the clear third favorite, which is kind of a bummer that the three promoted teams, to me, are going to still be the three teams that may end up going down. Um, But being so reliant on one guy over the grinding, brutal Premier League season, I know he held up for the championship last year. I know he's a kind of a physical guy that's you know doesn't really have that uh, stigma attached to him, but it's still very concerning. Yeah. All right. Well, anybody else you would call out before we move to some of our favorite random futures? I mean, I'm not as bullish on Lester uh, being like, so, I mean, the talent is there. I get it. But like if Vardy, Vardy might be, uh, I'm talking about jumping off cliffs a lot today. Vardy might've hit that, that age wall. I'll use another <laughs> visual metaphor here. Might've hit the uh, in a wall with his age here. He might be finally done producing in a high level. James Madison has, way outpaced his expected goal totals is his finishing crashes. Um, it, it covered up a lot of their ills last year. They're back. Their defenders just aren't very good. Tillman, you know, Fofana has left. Tillman's is unhappy. Yeah. There's a lot of problems at Leicester. I don't think that the talent is going to save them at some point. They really have to get this managerial higher right. If Rogers goes. Yeah. All right. And you think Rogers is heading to Brighton? I saw that rumor. What'd you think about that? Oh man, Brighton do better. Come on, Tony Bloom. You're a poker player. Don't, don't bet on Brandon Rogers. Brighton's plus 4,000 to get relegated. I'm just throwing that out there. They, they, might, have been, they might have banked enough points early on that they'd have to be like brutally Norwich bad through the rest of the season, yeah. which I, I, I don't know. That's pretty tough to do. They'd have to really, really, really suck to the tail end of the year. All right. Well, let's jump into some of my ra- uh, my favorite random ones. I'm not going to read all the odds of these. I'm just going to read you the ones I like. Um, before we get too deep in them, I guess I should ask you, every, every, this is a question everybody gets in a futures episode for the golden boot. Uh, Haaland's all the way down to minus 330, which is insane uh, <laughs> on match day seven or whatever day we're on uh, to already have a guy at minus 330 on the, the golden boot. I mean, we talked about this before, like he sucks all the air out of it and allows um, every other player to have just tremendous odds uh, because every, he's such a prohibitive favorite this early on. And, you know, one pulled hammy and eight, eight, 10 mismatches, all of a sudden everybody else might catch up. So how long's minus three thirty? Would you put your money anywhere else? Kane's plus five fifty. Jesus is plus 800. Salah's plus 1400. Mitrovic's plus 1800. And after that, you're talking about some real long shots. Anybody catch your eye there? No, I mean, Holland could stay healthy for 10 to 12 more matches and basically have the golden boots sewn up. So like, it's, it's just, see, like, it's kind of a bummer. Like if you like doing prop bets, like it's just a bummer that like you either have to take a terrible line um, or you're just basically probably burning your money, just hoping a long shot, you know, the one in a million thing pays off. 
Um, it's just, it's really hard to see anybody else. I mean, he's been on such a tear. It's, he doesn't have to even stay healthy at this point with the number of goals he's banked to probably get to a number that's almost uncatchable. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's Holland and just leave it alone. I don't, I don't even know if anybody else is worth it. Yeah. Well, this gets to my first, uh, of my favorite bets. I mean, you know, every time we talk about city, I'm just trying to find a way to shorten the odds. Just how do we get better odds on an expected result in betting the money line or the adjusted spread? Uh, for the futures, there is a line on the PFA Player of the Year winner. And instead of being minus 330 like he is in the Golden Boot, he's minus 150 on the Player of the Year. And obviously, like more than goals are factored into this award, and, and midfielders can win it quite often. But if Holland has 30, 40 goals, it ain't going anywhere else. And so rather than lay the minus 330 on the golden boot, I would gladly lay the minus 150 that he's going to be player of the year instead. Yeah, I mean, that one, it just seems like it's so narrative focused sometimes too. Um, you know, so if Harry Kane and Spurs make a run in the Champions League, if they finish second in the Premier League and maybe he's five, six goals behind Holland, he's still going to probably get a bump. And so I'm looking at him at plus 1,200. Um, and it's not, it seems like a decent shot because that is a very good scenario. And, and also like, it's not, it's primarily related, but like what he does in the world cup is going to matter for that vote too. Like you can say it doesn't, but it's going to matter. And, you know, I, I think Gabriel Hayes Deuce, even at plus 1400, if Arsenal have an amazing run, if they are, if they're second or their champions league and Jesus stays healthy, despite playing a ton for Brazil, like, Again, even if he's like five, six goals behind Holland, I still think those guys, because of what they, the clubs will do, they they matter. Like Holland helping City win another title by 20 points, like that shit's already happened. <laughs> like he wasn't there. Like if he puts, he'd have to score probably like his individual performance would have to be incredibly brilliant to just basically overlook the fact. Have that you like, been watching? Well, I mean, he has been incredibly brilliant. No, sorry. Incredibly brilliant throughout the season. Like he's got to put up like a 35 goal season or something to maybe overlook the fact that like city has dominated like this before you before him. So I think like, I don't, I don't know. I got to cut you off. I don't don't know. This is what the show is for. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. I'm here. It went down to the last day last year. Like, yes, city has keeps winning the league, but they might walk the league this year. Like if they're winning this thing in April and they've got guards of honors for the last seven match days, that's a show of dominance that you can't just say, oh, they won it before they won it again. How they win matters. And I think they're going to win by 10 plus points this year. And I think he's going to have 30 plus goals. And that would be insanity to give it to anybody else at that point. So I get that the World Cup narrative comes in. You're making good points about Kane. But like this, this isn't like, oh, they've won it before they've won it again. They are winning in a way that is undeniable at the moment. And he is the absolute center of it along with De Bruyne. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I think, you know, again, that that is totally fair. I think we're shaping up to even if Holland doesn't stay healthy, which is another reason maybe why those other two odds look pretty good. You're kind of betting on the trend that Holland is going to miss maybe 10 matches. Um, but I mean, it, he, he, they have to be so good. They have to win the league by so much. And then everybody else has to kind of like just be blocked. Like Spurs have to finish third or fourth. England has to crash out of the world cup. Brazil has to disappoint. I, I just like those odds. I, I think because of the fact that like those teams narratives can carry more than their individual performance may warrant, you know, Holland is, is definitely benefiting from just dro- being dropped into the pep machine. You know, he is outpacing what he did in the Bundesliga because he is playing with a manager that has produced amazing offensive displays and tacks and built around an impressive collection of players, De Bruyne, Cancelo, like who Foden, like we, we don't even talk about Phil Foden anymore. He is one of the three best young players in the world. He does shit at least once a match, like subtly that you're just like, holy shit. You know, where the way he brings the ball down, even with that set piece goal that he set up Holland for, I think it was like a couple of weeks back, the ball that he played in for that, like, it just seems effortless and easy. Yeah. So, like, there's just so much around Holland. I I think that hurts him because we know, like, it, like De Bruyne is the second uh, favorite for this award. Like, right there, his own teammate is literally right well, behind I mean, 
you're basically making the argument like Durant to the Warriors. Yes. Is more or yes. less what you're, what you're making yes. right now. But like, this is if like Durant averaged 50. It's like if Durant averaged 50 points, people wouldn't say, oh, they won without him. They'd be like, yeah. oh my God, uh, he's fair. the greatest that's player since Wilt. So like, I mean, I think it's fair to say that there's the infrastructure there, the coaches there, his teammates are great, but he's going to like destroy the record and books he, and he's just not going to be able to turn down. If he stays healthy. Yes. If he stays healthy. All this is if he stays healthy. All right. Uh, Let's 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 wrap up with some of our other favorite ones. We we gave them short shrift earlier, but here I'm going to give them their flowers. Uh, I am in on the Spurs this year, over and over again. I mean, they I know they only won two one last week, but they absolutely dominated Fulham. I think the XG was like three to point seven five. That game wasn't as close as it looks. Uh, they are they're a top team, and I I like them in some of these bets that you can make. For example, you could bet exact order of finish Manchester City and Spurs. Plus 350 for them to finish one, two. Love that bet. Um, also, there's, there's books that post what if you took Manchester City and Liverpool out of the table? Who would finish top? Spurs are plus 165 there. So if I'm getting plus 165 for the Spurs and they just have to finish above Arsenal and United and Chelsea uh, all day long, I, I'd almost take even money against the field. And the fact that I'm getting even better odds in my favor uh, makes me really excited. So those are probably my two favorite uh, bets that we haven't covered yet. And I got a few more, but I want to let you get some of yours in. Uh, I, I mean, really, I just have one that probably really stands out to me. And it's related to, I mean, I hate like circling around the same topic here. Um, but it's Graham Potter leaving Brighton. And Brighton is plus 150 to finish in the bottom 10. I just don't think their players are good. And they have to really get, I mean, it's hard to get a managerial appointment right. And I think Potter elevated the team. And I know they've banked a lot of points already. And, you know, you could probably have the argument, well, then who are the other teams that are finishing ahead of them? There's that argument as well. But, like, who inspires you on Brighton as an individual talent? Like, I'm, it's not like Pascal Gross isn't doing it for you. I mean, you're getting excited about the 2022 version of Danny Welbeck, <laughs> who's, who's no, still open the season starting at striker. No, I mean, I think it's fair to say, I mean, maybe not surprising, but fair to say that uh, when Potter was moving over to Chelsea, all of the analysis was on how much you know more quality he was going to have at his disposal at Chelsea, not the players he was going to miss at Brighton. I think basically every spot from a talent perspective will be upgraded across the 11 versus what remains behind him down Seaside. Yeah, and I mean, the other point I'm just going to throw out there is as we were scrolling Twitter trying to find out what was going on with the Queen situation, I thought I saw an article, and I'm assuming it's legit. I didn't get a chance to verify that Adam Alana is going to be like player manager right now. So yeah, like Brian's going to go through two or three three matches with Adam Alana player manager. That that's not good. They're gonna. I don't think that's a great situation for them to be in going forward. And again, I cannot stress this enough. Like, who is Brighton going to land? Like, are you going to be excited if like Sean Dyche comes in and takes that job? Fuck no. Like, I don't yeah. know. I just really like the plus 150. I, I'm just not bullish on Brighton's collection of talent. Um, so I, that's that one just like stood out to me and it like gave me blinders to a lot of other ones. Yeah. Well, um, mine, mine's derivative of that one, which is Newcastle, who we haven't mentioned yet on the show and who I'm also bullish on, as, as you know. Uh, I found a bet. They are plus 175 to finish in the top space outside of the big six. So will they beat the other 14 teams on the table? And I think Brighton is tilting those odds right now because Brighton got off to such amazing start and banked some points. But if we both think that they're going to regress back without uh, Potter in charge, then Newcastle is head and shoulders above the rest of the contenders for this uh, for this bet, I think. I mean, West Ham's not clicking together quite like they have last year. Brighton's going to be on the decline. And who else would you even like fear is going to finish above Newcastle who's outside of the six traditional powers? I mean, fear, no one strikes fear into my heart. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. I think it's a good point. I, I'm with you. Like, there's definitely, you know, once you move past the top six, um, I, I don't think there's a team, especially with West Ham, just looking very, very average. Um, sorry, sorry, meatballs. Sorry, I know you're probably reading about it on Reddit. Um, but especially with West Ham really falling off with Leicester, like just completely imploding and being dragged into a relegation battle. You know, those are probably the two teams that you would say like, oh, if they got their shit together, like they would be pretty formidable and they're going to battle Newcastle for that kind of spot. 
like those teams are not looking good. Um, I have faith, you know, David Moyes has the track record of super slow starts and really strong finishes. Um, but he also is the type of guy that'll probably like, be like, we're going to win the Europa conference league <laughs> yeah. and play all his best players and then sacrifice premier league standing for that. So I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think Newcastle just by virtue of the fact that they've made a couple of good signings that got some decent depth and there's just no one behind him that I think you can make a stronger case for. Yeah. I mean, it's to the point where I would actually probably take them versus the field at even money. So plus 175 definitely feels like stealing. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just, I'll just throw this in to be cheeky. If you really believe in Newcastle, Manchester United to finish outside the top six is plus 225. So you can get uh, the upside of Newcastle there or a Manchester United reverting to a collapse like they faced last year with Ronaldo imploding the dressing room and Harry Maguire continuing to maul people on the practice field, uh, knocking them onto the injured list just so he can get back on the pitch and they would fall out of the six and you'd be able to cash a nice bet there. Uh, So those are the futures I like. And I know the future here is a little bit confusing. Uh, we are going to go. We're going to go back and see if they are actually playing matches now that we're done recording. Uh, if they are, we will post some of our picks, especially the five pint to Twitter. Um, and if they not, if they're not, then we'll see how long they're gone. We will be back whenever they are back and we will be excited to be with you again. Uh, so sorry for the uncertainty. This was a very unusual circumstance to record within, but I hope you enjoyed our nonsense and we hope that we are back uh, next week or soon thereafter. Take care, everybody. Take care, y'all.